Welcome to the Hot Potato Podcast, a series that grabs the burning topic of climate change with both hands and asks how regenerative farming can help solve the problem. We all know farming systems need to change to feed the 8 billion people on this planet without actually destroying the planet. But how? Here on the Hot Potato Pod, we're starting with, who'd have thought it, the humble spud. As the third most consumed crop globally, potatoes play a vital role in how land is farmed and how people are fed. This podcast is brought to you by McCain Foods. With one in four fries eaten around the world made by McCain Foods, together with their farmers, they know a thing or two about growing potatoes. They are working with growers to drive regenerative agriculture practices at farms across the globe and have set the ambitious goal for 100% of their potato crop to be produced on regenerative farms by 2030. So keep your ears peeled as together we chip away at the hottest challenge facing food producers today. So many things we use every day must be grown. Food, fashion, fragrances, all rely on agriculture and all have an impact on our land, our air and our climate. We've talked a lot about regenerative agriculture in the food space and in today's pod we're dipping our toes into the world of fashion to unpack the challenges the industry is facing and to find out how regenerative agriculture is just one of the ways they're tackling their climate impact. And I'm asking, can cross-sector collaboration make a big difference? What can fashion and potatoes learn from each other? (laughs) Quite a good combination, I think. Um, Two of my favourite things, I think. (laughs) Uh, Joining me today is cultural sustainability pioneer and CEO of Black Pearl, Samata Patterson, and UK farmer and McCain foods grower, Imogen Stanley. Welcome to the Hot Potato Pod, ladies. Hi, thank you. Samata, you've been at the forefront of the sustainable fashion conversation for over a decade now, including on the red carpet. Tell us about your work. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've worked in the field of, honestly, fashion before I got sucked into sustainable fashion and never looked back. I've worked with fashion brands ranging from Louis Vuitton and Vivian Westwood on campaigns to talk about fashion's relationship with climate, um, circular fashion. I have run an initiative with the Academy where every year at the Oscars, we demonstrate what sustainable fashion can look like, teaming up with some really cool ambassadors like Billie Eilish and her mum, Maggie Baird. And I just have a huge passion for this subject. I think everyone wears clothes and my career has really been about educating people and helping them understand that, you know, clothes have way more meaning beyond just making us look and feel good. <laughs> so you're going right back to the beginning. Yes. Where, where are clothes from? And ultimately, they're from the soil, from plants, right? Mm. Tell us more about how fashion links back to agriculture. Absolutely. There's so many relationships between fashion and farm and soil. The connection between this raw material extraction and understanding that for us to get to the end of that cycle where we're going into a shop on the high street and picking up a cotton t-shirt, whether it's organic or conventional, requires us to educate citizens on the fact that farming and soil and soil biodiversity and soil health is crucial for the success of the fashion industry. And there is already a relationship between cotton and food because although it's not commonly known, you know, you have cottonseed oil that's extracted from the cotton plant itself. Another example is like livestock, leather, you know, leather is a byproduct of a farm. You know, these animal skins at the end of the day, even across to wool, we have sheep farming, which is at the heart of wool production. 
you know, and these animals also need to be looked after in a way that is, you know, a regenerative process, giving them nutrition, ample space and so on. I love how you've linked fashion to farming. I think I'm not sure I should admit this, but, you know, it's not like I think about that often because I, I, certainly with food, but not with fashion yeah. um, so much, not until now. Um, <laughs> but what are the farmers who's been lovingly tending to the soil to grow our food rather than uh, products of fashion is Imogen Stanley. Imogen, tell us about your farm and what you grow. Um, so I work on my family farm with my parents and we are growing a whole range of crops for different customers. We have our arable crops and our combinables, which is wheat and barley, oilseed rape, beans. And then we grow potatoes, which we supply to people like McCain. And we have a large farm shop, pick your own and cafe. That means that customers can come along and pick their own produce hopefully not eating at all before they uh, <laughs> yeah. before they pay for it. But we know that's part of the experience. So that is, that's what I do with my family. I love that. I'm one of those people who picks more than I, <laughs> eats more than I pick. Sorry. <laughs> so am I. But yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, it's just, it's a credit to the farmers because they're so delicious. Um, I believe that you're farming in a more regenerative way, certainly in many elements of your farm. Can you start, tell me what, started you on the regen journey well we were very much at the beginning of our journey um, in terms of regenerative agriculture and I would not say that we are the experts in in any sort of way but I think with the people that we're supplying so whether we're supplying into supermarkets or into big processes or even just direct to the consumer they want to know more about where their food is coming from and how it is grown. I think that people who are coming to a pick your own or coming to a farm shop want to know the story about your farm and how you're growing. So I think that is where it sort of stemmed from. It's sort of the need from customers. They are asking the questions and they want to know what you're doing and how you're doing it. So therefore, it's a you know an extra selling point, I guess, an extra way to make us sort of stand out. And I think that a lot of farms across the UK are, are going in that direction now yeah but every farm is different and our regen journey is just starting Imogen was there a moment for you when you realized the impact regenerative farming can have on the soil um so recently my dad and I went to a McCain demonstration farm where they are doing different things right next door to each other so within the field with the exact same crop this was with potatoes they then did six foot deep hole so you could see the soil structure at every level and the compaction all the way through and the compaction means that the roots aren't getting through and if the roots aren't getting through they're not getting the nutrients in the water and they're not growing as well I, I can I can really understand that I think a lot we're hearing a lot about climate change on the news and young people especially might be feeling anxious about that and wanting to know um, where their food's coming from and and is it being farmed in a way that is better for the environment and I guess they're thinking the same for fashion right Samata mm -hmm. are you seeing brands and fa the fashion industry respond to that in how they're producing clothes absolutely and I also just love what was just said about um that that people have an interest in knowing to me it's such a no-brainer the idea of supporting regenerative agriculture is a no-brainer because if you actually think about what the principles are you know like improving soil health enhancing biodiversity, like promoting carbon sequestration while producing food or fashion, 
who's going to put their hands up and say, I don't want any of that. You know, it's all good stuff. So I think, I think it's just helping people understand that this is not just good for kind of this end product, but it's good for our entire ecosystem. But, you know, back to farming and, and fashion, that means we need to understand that looking after our soil means everything from how we are not engaging with, let's say, heavily using synthetic fertilizers and pesticides across to understanding how to cover crop, reduce tillage, promote healthier soil, reduce the need for farmers who are producing our raw materials to essentially rely on harmful inputs. But definitely the fashion industry is waking up to that relationship. And you have um, regenerative fashion. There's conversations right now. There's a regenerative fashion festival taking place. And it's a conversation about, you know, farm to fiber, or, you know, farm to, to closet. And this idea that we need to kind of start educating people about the relationship between the two things and growing raw materials in alignment with natural systems and indigenous practices and so on. So I've seen lots of fashion brands starting to focus on sourcing their materials more sustainably. And, and this includes like, you know, natural materials, like such as, you know, I've said cotton, but hemp, flax, different routes to solutions and materials that aren't primarily polyester. And and there are lots of brands who've done this. So it's it's an exciting time for sure. I love how you talked about an ecosystem. And I that's familiar to me in thinking of the soil as an ecosystem and our food being part of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But I like the idea of our clothes being part of an ecosystem too. That's very cool. Are there any brands that are doing particularly well in this regenerative fashion space? I definitely think there are. And, and what strikes me is it's it's almost a lot of these outdoorsy brands. And when I say that, I don't know if they are having this moment of, you know, their campaigns are being shot in farms and like on these in these beautiful kind of um, settings. And I don't know if that's helping them just connect those dots more tangibly. But across from footwear brands like Timberland, who have been working on like sourcing their leather from regenerative farms. They have been doing some really cool things, but also there's, you know, Vivo Barefoot, which is um, a barefoot shoe company. And they've been working with rubber tappers to introduce sustainable tapping practices because at the end of the day, rubber is extracted from latex, which is from trees. So there's this idea of, you know, restoring the ecosystem in the regions that produce this rubber, community engagement, actually working with local communities who are, you know, doing the work to make sure that they're paid fairly, that they have good conditions, that the community is also thriving as business is taking place. And even things across to offsetting, um, not using synthetic chemicals in the production of the apparel, all Birds does really cool things as well with its footwear, sourcing wool from regenerative farms, which is really, really interesting. The rotational grazing, where they're working with farms who basically um, move their animals periodically from different sections of the pasture to stop them overgrazing, um, to help the soil like fight back, you know, because... I'm sure there's nothing like being nibbled on for hours on end. <laughs> like the soil needs a chance to fight back, you know. Yes, um, as long as they're moving. Yes, exactly. it's um, mob grazing, which is happening in, in, in the UK. And like you talked about um, fashion brands uh, supporting indigenous communities, but Imogen, in your farm, you're supporting your community, right? In having a farm shop and um, encouraging people to come and see how things are grown. Yeah, I mean, sort of some of the things that we do alongside we do school trips so I will host like a whole load of primary school kids and I will give them a tour of the strawberry fields and I will show them 
strawberries that have just been planted, strawberries that are in flower, and the fact that the flower is actually a strawberry, which blows their mind every time, the center <laughs> of the flower. We bring in bees and, you know, and support them and encourage them. And then at the end, they obviously get to pick a punnet of strawberries, which I think is the highlight. And eat a And of eat the strawberries as well. <laughs> but that sort of education that you can do I think is really really important and so people understand and it's that whole ecosystem of like sometimes I think that when I buy clothes maybe I forget that clothes are cotton and they come from a farm I would not say I've ever considered that Mm. really in my purchasing decision but when I purchase food probably because I'm in the food industry Mm. I try and purchase things that are seasonal and British and I know where the meat comes or I know where the vegetables come from so getting those habits that I have within food into something like fashion, I think would be really important. And that is education. So we're trying to start from this young age. I love that. And I think a really great way to people bring people in is, is strawberries of food and the great diversity we see in food. Have you always grown such um, a diverse crops on your farm? So most of the crops we grow are because my dad likes to eat them. Good for him. So he loves potatoes. <laughs> Um, for him I like this man he loves uh, asparagus yep Um, and actually I think when you're a farmer and whether you're with livestock or with crops if you like to eat what you're producing that's what makes a good farmer so lots of things we come from dad and him just going I love potatoes (laughs) I think that's a key to fashion and farming isn't it it's like genuine love for your product right from the 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 soil to the to the market and 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 being being genuine about it you know absolutely um I loved the diversity you spoke about Imogen that must attract people to your farm and your shop but I believe it also is useful in a farming in a more sustainable way could you tell us more about that yeah so with um with our farm and with most cereal arable farmers you have a crop rotation so you can't just grow wheat after wheat after wheat after wheat because wheat will be taking certain things out of the soil certain nutrients so we do have a rotation potatoes come into that rotation and you get a fantastic crop of wheat after potatoes because the nutrients that they require is completely different and the same with beans and we try grow oilseed rape and things like that and that crop rotation is really really important to keep your soils healthy and things like that absolutely as this conversation progresses i'm just keep i keep seeing how aligned we are as industries and the similar kind of issues and opportunities that we face so for example when you were talking about kind of your crop rotation and that mix that kind of biodiversity mix or the mix of what you're growing i mean in fashion we're seeing farms kind of being part of more of a diversified agricultural system so this idea of kind of which fibers to grow together which obviously depends on things like climate and soil type And also, I just want to highlight market demand plays such a big role in seeing the opportunities for these particular fibers and materials or fiber crops grow. So we see the most common mixes are cotton and hemp. So we're seeing that they can be grown complementary in many regions, you know, cotton being like an annual fiber crop. 
Hemp is typically grown as an annual, but it can be grown as like a perennial as well. But those are some that sometimes can work together. We see it with flax and hemp, which manifest as, you know, quite robust materials and fibers, but they're kind of bast fibers and they can be grown together in some regions as well. We see it with like rami and hemp. We see it with jute and kanaf. So these are all kind of plants that can be used in textiles and ropes and other products. So it's just interesting when you really evaluate the decisions that farmers have to make about which fiber crops they're growing together and then the things they might have to deal with in terms of the timing of those harvests, complications with market demand and pricing. So even though in the fashion industry, we see a demand for specific materials, that has to also align with what's affordable for purchasing and what's a fair price for farmers to be paid. So there's all of these other kind of not complications, but externalities, which influence like how a farm can thrive, I'm sure. And then what's being put into the market as well and what citizens can access. So it's just fascinating for me to hear you talk because I can see conversations taking place in the fashion industry that you're obviously having on your farm as well. And it's it's exciting. Yeah, I've been thinking that too, how you can bring beans, le- legumes into a crop, which obviously are food and bringing nitrogen to the soil. And I, I believe that hemp, Uh, does something similar. Mm -hmm. Is there a role for livestock as well? Do you see livestock rotations in the fashion industry to improve the soil and also possibly provide a, a material? Absolutely. I mean, we rely on livestock. And I think that part of the conversation that keeps happening around fashion and livestock is primarily also how we're looking after the animals. Like that's a big conversation when we talk about regenerative agriculture, the conditions within which the animals are being looked after. But we see it happening with wool production, the sourcing of wool from farms that practice ethical and sustainable sheep farming, well-being of the animals. We see it with leather production responsible animal husbandry and environmental practices. And then we're seeing it with some of the alternatives to the animal derivative materials as well. So, you know, this plant-based leather, you know, there's these conversations now about plant-based leather. We're using mushrooms and pineapple and we're looking at how, well, how, you know, you've got pineapple, which is a source for the food industry and mushroom, which is a source for the food industry. But now the offcuts or the skin or Parts of that is now an input for the fashion industry. How can we make sure that that's a regenerative conversation as well? So definitely it's happening. So you could be getting your dinner and your coat from the same regenerative farm. I like that idea. (laughs) Yeah. And what about um, flowers as well? I believe you're planting flowers in and amongst your crops for what they can do for reducing pesticides and bringing in pollinators. But I wondered if you're using it as diversifying into other industries like fragrance for example or you know something different from from food farming well I think flowers is an interesting one it's quite a small part of our business and I know there are people growing lavender and then they will open it up for people to take photos and do shoots and that kind of thing and then they will harvest the lavender and then they will use the lavender in products that they make whether that is soap or hand soap or bath gels and all that kind of thing so you've kind of got two incomes from one product and you're not wasting it so you're not just producing a crop that looks great on Instagram you're then actually harvesting it and I guess then creating a second market for it and then you can take your photo for Instagram and then you can also buy a bar of soap and take home. So that's quite good. And there's a lot of lavender farms like that. Okay, I think I'm basically going to be stalking Imogen at this point because we have too much overlay. But um, (laughs) so basically, I think that conversation about flowers is really, really timely because 
What we're seeing right now, um, first of all, with the fashion industry, we have a huge issue with um, our dyeing processes. So currently, the fashion industry contributes 20% to global water pollution, and that is primarily through the treatment of textiles and dyeing. So there's been this shift over the past few years, or decade, I would say, um, on natural or non-toxic dyes. How are we basically coloring our clothing in a way that doesn't contribute to a really harmful impact on local waterways and waste systems. I did this really cool project with um, Greenpeace um, called Detox Fashion. And there used to be a saying, and it still exists in parts of China where heavy textile dyeing takes place, that you can tell the color that's in season for the fashion industry from the color of our waterways, which is a really disturbing idea that we see these rivers bubbling purple and neon pink and bright yellow. So natural dyes were kind of introduced and they're from biological origins. So we've started to look at natural dyes um, being used in textiles for madder, turmeric, onion skins, rhubarb, walnut. And it's exciting. And, and there are companies that have managed to apply this like on an industrial scale, like the Pangaea. And we're using flowers to dye fabrics. Um, like I said, marigolds, madder root, safflower, these are actually being used to dye fabrics. And it's considered a more eco-friendly alternative. You know, they're biodegradable. And they tend to, although they use chemicals to fix the color, like a mordant, those are non-toxic mordants, um, depending on whether you use a specific type. So that's really an interesting intersection again, because you think about flowers in the fashion industry and you probably think about like botanical prints on a fabric, but you don't necessarily think about the fact that flowers and food waste um, and vegetables are now being used to extract color and natural pigments. And you even have clothing that is embedding like the the aromatics of flowers, like lavender oh, wow. and rose petal, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's really cool, some of the stuff that's happening. And I really like it because I think it just keeps bringing us back to this idea that we are wearing nature, you know, we are interacting with nature and we're wearing nature. And anything that can kind of reinforce that mental link, I think is a great thing. I love that idea as well of the history of that as well of, you know, in, in, imagining in history, you know, in medieval times, people had probably very colourful clothes. Um, but that's because they knew how to use these natural dyes. Exactly. And like you said, Samata, it brings us back to linking nature and fashion. And how do you think that we might be able to educate and help people understand that so they can make that connection for themselves? Mm. Education in schools, I think is critical. And there's all these kind of interesting ways that we can not make it this worthy lecture, like not where we're finger wagging at people and saying, you know, the planet's in a dire state and we really need to step, but, but make it fun. And I think the fashion industry is really good at making things desirable and fun and um, aspirational. I mean, we invent, we put trends out that convince people that something they bought just six months ago no longer has relevance, which I disagree with. But we also create movements where people rush to get something because they see it as being part of a community and a value system and a way of thinking and being. So why can't we apply those same clever marketing tricks and those same clever messaging tactics when it comes to regenerative agriculture and soil and farming? Like, I feel like Imogen is the kind of person that, you know, I see as being, and I don't like the word influencer, but that's the kind of influencer that I find interesting. That's the kind of demand for conversation that I would love to see. So I think fashion can do a better job when it comes to making these subjects something that people feel more interested in kind of participating in and learning about. I think you're right. I 
don't know what the Imogen will like to be called an influencer. <laughs> no, I hate the words. But by <laughs> maybe an educator is a better one, just by yeah. telling people about how you're how you're producing their food, so that they can understand and push for change in other areas where they want it. Yeah, I think um, you said that people run to fashion, and we need to make it so that people are running towards fashion that is more sustainable they're running towards food where they know where the produce comes from or it is sustainable is regenerative we need to make that the fashion Mm. but the impetus shouldn't be on farmers alone should it it should be on on the companies themselves you know it can't be it can't be just on the farmer's shoulders to make all these changes well we we know that climate change is should be everyone's responsibility we should all be getting on board and i think Farmers have their place. I think our major customers, the big customers, the supermarkets, the processors, they have their place. Government are giving their views on what they think the right option is. And then actual customers as well. So the people that are purchasing, they have the most power. I think that we forget that. If the customer makes a decision, then everyone will follow. And customers say and I don't know if this is the same in fashion, that they want sustainable, they want local, they want great quality produce that's ethical, regenerative, high welfare. But sometimes that doesn't translate at the till. Yeah, I I have definitely some thoughts on that. Um, I actually feel in fashion, to be 100% honest with you, that the conversation that focuses on um, citizens and citizen action allows brands to get away with some really ludicrous things. So I feel that what you said is 100% right. There is um, fashion, we kind of have these specific groups like our brands and our retailers. We have our manufacturers. We have our citizens who buy the clothes. And all of those groups have a responsibility. Citizens can ask and demand for better. Brands have to be willing to deliver better and pay what that costs to the manufacturers. You know, like as a farmer, you deserve to be paid a fair value for what you're producing. Yeah. So it's so similar. Yeah, yeah so similar. The, the, there is a big... <laughs> I did think at the beginning of this podcast, oh, fashion and potatoes, but there's so much crossover, isn't there? Yeah. I just think there's so many similarities between food and fashion that I didn't see before. And it's it's kind of mind-blowing. And, and I think the more people can connect these things that we all do, eat and put clothing on, then we will have more cross-industry collaboration as well. Cool. Do you want to talk about food waste at all? Like food waste is a, a huge problem. It's... um. If, if it was a country, it would be third after the US and China in the amount of greenhouse gases it produces. Yeah, I mean, we are using food waste for fashion. We are taking food waste to dye our clothing, to make materials, to make fibers. Like this is not um, something that might happen in the future. It's happening right now. Um, and that's really, really exciting. We're even using um, like Himalayan nettle, bamboo, seaweed which is also a food product, but we're using that as a fiber. And that's why I think the collaboration across industries is so important. There are brands like the Pangaea who really pride themselves on not describing themselves as a fashion brand. They describe themselves as almost a fashion and science collaborative because they recognize that they're a collective of scientists, technologists, and designers because they recognize that fashion is not in a silo anymore. We're working with scientists to leverage technology to basically use food and other products to create clothing. I mean, we're replacing the stuffing for puffer jackets with flower down now as a vegan alternative to feathers. So there's definitely some intersections between fashion and food. 
that are really cool and really exciting. And I think maybe that there's more opportunities for labs and places where these can be explored more extensively. Um, how do we make sustainable consumerism more accessible? You know, it's a lovely idea, but not everyone can afford perhaps the eco fashion they're seeing in shops or uh, what they might see in a uh, farmer's market. Is scaling up regenerative agriculture the way to achieve this? Yeah, well, I guess the majority of the food that we eat does end up in a supermarket in this country. It's not necessarily bought from farm. Um, And if those farmers that are producing that food can do it in a more sustainable way, a more regenerative way, and are supported by the customers, whether that customer is the actual end consumer or the retailers or the processors, then I think that is the best way to get it out and educate people this that that is what we're doing. What about Fashion Matter? Do you think that it's the same thing? Absolutely. I think scaling up regenerative agriculture is, is just, it's an important component of making sustainable consumerism accessible. And it's part of like a broader strategy. It's everything Imogen said. It's about education. It's about affordability. It's about transparency. This is the, these are the hurdles we're facing. This is the support we need. It's about policy. It's about you know, citizen engagement, you know, we talked a little bit about like even the project that I was um, delivering with the Oscars, that was taking a huge platform to basically platform issues about sustainability. If we're able to take massive global eyeballs and put them on a topic that has a big difference or makes a big impact, then suddenly we're able to create groundswell around a subject like regenerative agriculture and achieving sustainable consumerism it's a collective effort we need governments businesses citizens and communities and and it is happening by the way it's we've got groundbreaking programs out there we've got like farm to closet by textile exchange which is all about you know essentially relying on sustainable or regenerative agriculture making informed choices supporting products and practices that align with that you know they're doing everything from sustainable fiber sourcing to ethical and fair labor practices circular economy and recycling citizen education it's a great project the Farm to Closet initiative. So we have all of these great flagship initiatives out there showing us that it's possible. We just need the focus, the attention, the eyeballs, the investment, um, and those little opportunities to educate people so they can make different decisions. So yeah, I agree with Imogen. Okay, we're ending each episode with some quick fire questions. So Samantha, in fashion, what is the most important change you want to see in industrial farming by 2030? Investment in farmers and kind of that side of the value cycle, kind of support and investments, they can scale their practices. Excellent. And Imogen, in food, what is the most important change you want to see in industrial farming by 2030? Um, I think being paid a fair price for what's being produced so that the farmers and the farming businesses can be sustainable for the future and have longevity. And how can people take a more active approach to sustainable consumption? I think uh, taking the time to read the label on your food, where it's come from, the origins and how it's produced um, and just cooking from home. I think that's just really important. And just having a few really simple ingredients will um, just make your consumption more sustainable and maybe more delicious as well. Yeah. Same question for you, Samata. I would say learn a single skill, um, a sewing DIY skill, whether it's fixing a button, taking up a hem, interact with your clothing a tiny bit more so you can start to really appreciate that it's made by someone and hopefully that will help you understand why valuing it matters. Finally, best way to eat a potato? Baked potato from the Aga. Okay. (laughs) In LA? (laughs) I'm sorry, my mouth just started to water. Um, 
I was literally just going to say baked potato, melted butter, baked beans with some cheese on top. <laughs> oh, lovely. Even in LA in the heat? Absolutely. There's yes. always room for a baked potato. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed that conversation and I learned a lot. I think I'm going to be uh, shopping differently and I'm going to be just, I, I think I'm going to get back to my knitting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Turns out that fashion and potatoes have quite a lot in common. I didn't expect that. But of course, across all the sectors that are using plants, it's coming from the soil and regenerative agriculture can be used to farm those plants for fashion, for food, for fragrances, rubber, leather, all these things that we're wearing and using in our lives can be farmed in a regenerative way and those sectors can learn from each other about how to farm better and that's going to benefit all of us because we need to make sure that the food we're eating and the fashion we're wearing is having a lighter footprint on the earth. So I'm really excited about that and I think that regenerative agriculture could be sexy. Fashion's amazing at selling things. I mean we're all wearing a particular type of jeans or trainers just because fashion tells us to so I don't see why we can't use that same power to encourage people to eat in a more sustainable way I'm just wondering if fashion could do the same for farmers can fashion make regen ag sexy if we can do it with fashion why can't we do it with food Thanks for listening to the Hot Potato Pod. I hope this is just the beginning of a conversation about regenerative agriculture and how we can farm in a better way. 